2: Drivers, start your engines!
3: Get the pace car!
2: What's for? Because you need any other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect.
4: When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks
3: to me. It's him. He talks to me.
2: Hey, race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to Draft from the Circuits. My name is Frank Santorosco. I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk about racing. Joining me in the studio tonight, I've got Christopher DeHarty, Louise Torres, and Richard Uden. Guys, how are we doing tonight?
3: So far, yeah, so good. Thank you.
1: It's been going. It's been a much better week. Feeling a lot better than, yes, last week. All right, good. I'm glad you're feeling better. Yeah, I was a little worried about you last week.
2: So, uh, But anyway, I, uh, I want to give a quick shout out to our... Uh, uh, our podcast partner Seth Egger dealing with a tough time he had a had a death in the family so i just want to let you know seth uh, we are we are thinking about you quite a bit we're keeping you in all of our thoughts so uh stay strong buddy um but anyway indeed
3: indeed yes
2: yes but um anyway so tonight is going to be our 1 year pandemic anniversary special uh because we all kind of remember the uh you know, the, this is about the time of year last year, right, when the uh, NCAA um, tournaments, you know, all the conference championships were heating up. And then, uh, you know, they started canceling sporting events left and right. We had, you know, COVID cases here, COVID cases there. Um, th- there was a lot of fear that gripped everybody. And, I mean, I, I remember it well. You know, uh, for those of you who don't know me personally, my uh, my livelihood, I own and operate a sports bar. And, uh, you know, my sales live and die by sporting events and I'm surrounded by 60 televisions all day long tuned into sporting news. And I just vividly remember the events being canceled one after the other, a big domino effect. uh, As a matter of fact, you know, I I remember a, one of these basketball games got canceled at halftime halfway through the game. They said, "Ah, that's enough. That's enough pandemic. Um, You know, I remember the uh, NCAA championship was going to take place with no fans. And then a few days later, they decided it wouldn't take place at all. And then slowly we were left with pretty much zero sports, except for I believe Korean baseball uh, was the only thing uh, happening at the time. A few uh, international soccer things here and there, but as far as the entire United States went on lockdown, uh, matter of fact, um, the uh, IndyCar series was gearing up to start their season. They were unloaded at St. Pete. The track was built. They had a practice session. Christopher, you were there anticipating the race uh, when they, Uh, first made the decision to not allow fans and then made the
4: decision to call off the race entirely. So uh, tell us a little bit about that. So I flew down on the Thursday morning, first of all, uh, to back up a little bit uh, Wednesday night, uh, the FIA canceled the 1000 miles of Sebring. And of course me being the naive idiot that I can be, um, I went into another podcast uh, discord server and we were just talking about it. And I was like, guys, they're not going to cancel Sebring. (laughs) Anyway, so that was Wednesday night, and I had requested off from my other job uh, for 10 days because my plan was to cover St. Petersburg and Sebring. Well, Thursday morning, I get up, go to the airport, I park at a friend's apartment complex, and I get to the airport, get checked in, all that good stuff. So on my flight was Charlie Kimball, uh, the two Daves, uh, first in Calabro, and a couple of other IndyCar staff, um, like Webmaster, a couple of other people like that that I knew from the radios, people. Anyway, um, <clears throat> then we fly down, um, and we I get there around like 10, 10, 15 or so, and I see that they've announced, oh, we're not going to have any fans, and I'm like, okay... All right. And then around noon or so, they announced that Sebring is postponed to November. And that's what I'm thinking. Uh, Okay, this is uh, this is a bit worse. So then we go to 1230 or so. One o'clock is when Joey Barnes got there. Um, He and I got a Uber over to the credential office. And the coronavirus. office, by the time we got there, it was already closed for the day. We found out there was going to be a press conference at the police department. So I walked down the uh, street in St. Petersburg to get to the police department, got there right after it's, the press conference started. And they said they were going to run the event with no fans, with a condensed schedule and with um, enhanced health screenings, which meant you got to answer a four-question survey, <laughs> get your temperature checked. And you had to arrive between 6 and 8 in the morning at a remote parking place, and they would bus you in to the complex. Now, I took a shower that Thursday night, and when I got out of the shower, I got an email saying that my, my media credentials had been rescinded for the weekend. I didn't have a hard card because I was trying to start my own card news outlet. That didn't happen because um, of other things. But anyway, um. <clears throat> So I went to bed, uh, woke up you know, to Matt Weaver, who had gotten there around 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Thursday. Um, him and Joey left for the track. I went back to bed, slept around 1130. They get back to the hotel. They kick the bed that I'm sleeping in, say, wake up. IndyCar canceled everything in March and April. So at that point, it's like, all right, uh, what now? Well, Wednesday night I called mom and dad up, said, hey. Everything goes uh, crazy. Can I stay in New Orleans for 10 days? They said, sure, because the schedule's already been written. I'm not going to be put back on it, you know? So anyway, uh, call mom and dad up, tell them what happened. They said, get us get yourself on a flight to New Orleans. And so that's what I did. I went to New Orleans, and I was going to stay there for 10 days, and then fly back to Indy. 10 days turned into two weeks, which then turned into four weeks because my work said that they would pay people um, – while they were unable to have customers in the building, then on April fifteenth I got furloughed and I flew back up to Indianapolis April eighteenth to get my car, and that's how the pandemic really started. But it was just so crazy because, you know, while I was in a coffee shop writing an article on that Thursday is when I saw that the NCAA tournament had been canceled, and it's just it's just like the hits just kept on coming. It was just the news was making your heads was making your head spin. It was uh, it was very much a case of like almost dead man walking because you're like, what the heck's going to happen next?
2: Yeah, absolutely. There was a lot of fear, a lot of uncertainty. Uh, You know, we we went from life being relatively normal to suddenly having no sports, no haircuts, no bars, uh, no dine in restaurants. Um, You know, uh, there was a lot of flap over which businesses were considered essential and which ones were not, you know, it, it got to the point, the, the only place you could go was, uh, you know, the grocery store or the gas station. Um, you know, there was no, uh, no, no entertainment, no live events. Um, a lot of folks were asked to work from home or asked to not work at all. Um, you know, the uh, unemployment systems in various States were, were absolutely overloaded with uh, unemployment claims coming in. And, and a lot of folks, it took them a lot of time to, to get any money in the bank. Um, and, and then just, just the fear that gripped people. I mean, you, you know, if, uh, if you walk down the aisle the wrong way at the Walmart, you'd have some Karen type, you're going down the wrong way. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, don't, don't, don't get within six feet of me, you know, social distance yourself. Um, and now a year later, I see that a lot of folks are over it. As a matter of fact, I, uh, last night being St. Patrick's, you know, I went out, I went out to the pub. And, uh, you know, it was crowded, wall to wall people, you know, very few people wearing masks. I think a lot of folks are over. It. We're getting uh, vaccines out there. The sports have returned, albeit with uh, limited numbers. So uh, now, Louise, you've uh, lived this through this thing as well. So uh, let me throw it over to you before we get Richard's thoughts on uh, our pandemic anniversary.
1: Yeah. Basically, unlike, unlike Chris, I was not at St. Petersburg. As a matter of fact, I was at my mundane job, the old job that I had with my father. When I found out all this ordeal, once the NBA games were started canceling, it's I, in my mindset was like, what is going on? It started to feel like the, the Stranger Things were all, some just something was not right. And my mind was in a spin of whirlwind because I knew when these cancellations were keep happening and happening and happening, I knew... My, my, because the mindset, of my mentality at the time, I was still very angry and bitter over the fact that I did not fulfill the whole Speed Weeks at Daytona. And then once these events started, canceled, I was getting real worried. What does it mean for the smaller outlets, the independent journalists, those who don't have, don't make a true living out of this industry? What does it mean for them? It, it concerned me to where I became paranoid of going outside and doing anything. Now today it just varies on where I would like to go, where it's right, if it's right, and when it's right. But once those cancellations start coming up, I just I was getting concerned. It's like, yeah, this is not anything I planned. Like the Indianapolis 500, the Cup finale, of Phoenix, everything that were in advance that I had in mind of wanting to do, I can don't get my hopes up, expect nothing, and just live day by day rather than. In advance, it took me a long time to accept the the faith that certain things just did not happen. It may have set back certain folks in the media realm uh, for years back than it should. I understand why priority are more to this established because they are the ones that get paid for it. But there are others that are that are trying to break through in this business as best as possible to where it's very hard to even. Find a way to break through, unless you're very active or impressive. Because this past year, these Zoom calls is pretty much the only way that my the only ticket to some folks to get someone noted, or maybe go cover races in the pandemic. Because I know for a fact that David, I think it was David Morgan, and maybe Seth as well. We're going, we're planning to go to Atlanta, and then I felt bad for David a lot more because he he and I knew we were there they told him where we had to go home. So for David, for that matter, I was concerned for him because it's like, geez, this luck is not any, isn't getting any better. He have to go. He couldn't go to Atlanta because they found out, I think, what like Friday morning that, nope, we're done. We're not going to continue the Atlanta race. We're moving everything back. And on the NASCAR end, because Chris pretty much covered the IndyCar as I'll say on the NASCAR end, it, it, they were proactive. Even Formula One, they had a couple positives down there with the McLaren crew. To where they had to postpone the race in Melbourne and ultimately got canceled. So once those events keep racking up and racking up, postponement or cancellations or no crowds, it's just you got to do what you can. Because I know at the very beginning, once the racing season resumed, they only allowed five people, only Getty on the photography end, and five people who were in the National Motorsports Press Association. Over time, they started allowing more people, more people, but it's mostly those who have annual credentials and much of like chris is at this year on the nascar and i unfortunately don't have one indycar is a massive to be determined for 21 i ha- i'm not expecting any hopes on that regard but it changed a lot of landscapes for those media folks especially the outlets that are not relatively like the motorsport or the auto weeks of the world and vice versa so yeah I, for sure but yeah this past year has to be a lot of changes a lot of learning curves but I knew the biggest thing is just expect nothing. If there's an opportunity, just take it if it's right, when it's right. If that makes any sense.
2: Yeah, that makes sense, Louise. Yeah, I mean, it, it affected everybody's lives in so many ways. I mean, there were folks that just weren't able to work. And, and then then there were folks that were expected to, uh, uh, you know, double and triple time because uh, different places would reduce the amount of staff and expect more more work out of the so-called essential workers. So now, Richard... You've been quiet over there, so. Uh, but this, uh, <laughs> I always like to say that, yeah. But um, this pandemic was um, really it, it kind of wrapped up over in in Asia and Europe before the numbers started to to spike here in the states. And and you being yeah. you being my favorite person from Europe, um, I know you've got, <laughs> you've, got you've got you've got friends on probably quite a small pool, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but um, um <laughs> anyway so but yeah. you, you've got friends on both sides of the pond so uh yeah i mean what were your your experiences as, as all this uh uh was sort of how i know you went from uh going to work on a daily basis to you know w- working out of your uh out
3: of your home yeah yeah i mean for me obviously work you know in a way i was lucky um not working directly in the racing industry because it was hit pretty hard and i know a lot of people who um you know were especially some of the cup teams around here in North Carolina, they they were furloughed and they, you know, some, some people even lost their jobs outright, which was, which was very, very unfortunate. Um, and, you know, the company that I work for now, we were supported, you know, very, very well. And I've been able to work from home for the last year, but, uh, you know, looking back on it, it was sort of Italy really that sort of had the first sort of big spike, wasn't it, uh, in, in sort of, the developed world, where media was was readily available and transparent, um, and then now we look at the cases that Italy had, and they're sort of relatively small compared to other parts of the world. But um, it you know it, it's not been fun, and you know to, to be to, to be you know open the eyes with you guys in in early November, both my wife and myself actually contracted COVID, and it was you know it wasn't nice. Um, you know, it it um, you know you got your ten days and all this sort of stuff, and we weren't the, the the strange thing about it was we weren't incredibly sick, but it lingered for so long. Um, you know, it probably took me three or four weeks before I felt normal, and probably took my wife a little bit longer. She actually got bronchitis as a as a side effect of it, which was was pr- pretty nasty. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's certainly not. You know, it's certainly been bad and it's certainly not something I would encourage. And the transmission rate of this thing is incredibly high. And the rate at which it spread was, um, you know, amazing in many, many ways. But I think what it's highlighted and what gets missed is how it's enabled companies to.
0: See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.
3: Can do in a, in a bind, you know. And I'll take, you know, a lot of the Formula One teams, there was the project pole position, I can't remember what it was now in the UK, where all of the um, Formula One teams, you know, um, picked up, uh, you know, the gauntlet and were starting to build ventilators and starting to do all of this work um, and tried PPE and all this sort of stuff. It was fascinating to see, it, and it was a, it really was commendable for what they've achieved. Uh, and, you know, the, the fact that so many major sports were able to get back, um, you know, went back into, you know, IndyCar and NASCAR got a season in, you know, Formula One got a season in, and, and so many other sports got their, their seasons completed was was really a testament to how, we can think outside of the box as a society and as an organization to get these things done. And uh, a lot of people need a lot of credit. Um, and, you know, it's, it's been a real, a testament to, to sort of human endeavor in many, many ways. And, you know, coming from the UK and from, from Europe, you know, you often think of how previous generations have cut with similar things to this, although on a different scale, you know, when, my grandparents' generation, for example, you know, living through the Second World War and how that, um, you know, how they got through that, you know, and this is obviously not on the same level, but it's probably the closest thing that we'll ever have in our lifetimes to that sort of sense of, uh, you know, social responsibility and, you know, working together to try and uh, improve a pretty pretty nasty situation. But uh, hopefully we're on the, the tail end of it now and uh, you know, the vaccines are becoming, becoming available and uh, you know I, the, the sad thing is you know I've been an engineer all my life and I believe in science and I believe in facts and um, you know science and fact has gone out the window in a lot of a lot of circumstances over the last 12 months or so and I think that's a real shame I, I you know urge people to, to listen to the scientists and listen to the experts out there and uh you know, we not play politics with people's health and uh, and really take on board what uh, what these people people say and, and take the advice and do what they need to do to to eradicate this.
2: Yeah, certainly. I mean, I, I agree with you fully. There's a lot of I mean, there's there's more misinformation out there than than there needs to be. But, you yeah, but to your point about, uh, you know, human ingenuity and, and, and problem solving and figuring out ways to do things like get our children educated when they can't go to school and, and um, you know, getting getting kids fed that, you know, there, mm-hmm. there's a there's a large, um, a, a, you know, a large section of the population that those kids count on that school lunch as their their one yeah. their one nutritious meal of the day. And 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 I've seen a lot of uh cases where I'm like right here in my own hometown, uh um, you know, if I wanted to, I could drive up to the school and pick up lunches for my for my daughter. And yeah. they they were they're more than willing to hand out as many lunches as you wanted. I, you know, um just to just to make sure that everybody is taken care of. It. And you see a lot of folks coming together and whatnot. And uh, yeah. and, and here we are almost a year later. And, um, you know, we've seen, um, some of the, the fear has gone down, um, but, but you know, the numbers are still there. We've seen the mask mandates, uh, you know, we've seen the maskers, the anti-maskers and whatnot, and, and here we are. And hopefully, like you said, we're on the, the tail end of this. I know that the, um, Indianapolis motor speedway has been set up as a mass vaccina- vaccination site. I, I hear that they're vaccinating as many as oh, 17,000 people a week. Does that sound right? Christopher? I know you. You live right there.
4: They had a clinic for. They had a clinic for a few days. Um, it was like four or five days, I think it was. Um, and they got a. They got a few thousand people. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't exactly you know like it was going to be a long term thing because availability is still limited. Um. But the good thing is that it was very efficient. Um, A friend of mine that works with me, whose great uncle was in the race, actually was able to get everything done in, like, not even – he was was only in line for, like, three or four minutes. So – yeah, yeah, I did.
2: I, I did. I, I did kind of hear some folks uh, kind of compare because they were they were using the former long garages for the yes, for the things. And they had a drive through there. And somebody actually compared it to, uh, you know, <laughs> making a pit stop at Indy. You're in and out. Boom. <laughs> well, <laughs> you my, so. uh,
4: my buddy uh, actually asked the security guard if he could drive on the track. And, he, and the guy said no. But he said, to your credit, you're the first person that's actually asked me that. So I thought that was kind of really funny. only yeah, one person
2: was... asked that. That'd be the first thing I'd ask.
4: Yeah,
1: I'm surprised
2: with that. Yeah,
4: all right. So, so, well, well. If if uh, I may may say, if I may say, Frank, Indiana has done a great job with the vaccination um, groups that are eligible because they just recently announced that if you're 45 and older, you can are eligible to get the vaccine. But I only wish that more the, the definition of essential worker could be expanded to include food service and retail. Because I believe that those groups should be vaccinated after healthcare workers because they've been, you know, at the job since this pandemic started.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, in, in, in mm-hmm. Kentucky, um, retail and food service are considered essential and, and they are eligible
1: right now. You know, in I don't even things. want to get into Washington at all. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, but,
2: you know, at, at the end of the day. We are a motor racing show, so we should talk about some motor racing, I guess. So <laughs> instead of uh talking about uh vaccines and whatnot, yeah, all I don't want that. to Although it is it that. is very interesting to talk about, but uh, you know, That's as the, the as the pandemic wore on, we saw a big kick in popularity in i racing. Um, and our friend Seth uh stopped writing about real racing and started writing about i racing, and he still writes about i racing, and he's actually Doing pretty well with it. Uh, the um, the interest in i racing where it kicked up when it was the only racing to watch is kind of still there. As a matter of fact, uh, IndyCar had an i race earlier tonight that Alex Palou won uh, mm-hmm. as as a primer to the uh, you know the actual season beginning here at, at Barber in a few weeks. Um, and then we ourselves, we were innovative on our programs here, at drafting the circuits. I think we did, we did a trivia night. We did a, a whole show of talking about racing movies. You know, we just uh, mm-hmm. made, made mm-hmm. the best of it. So, uh, but here we are a year later. And um, you know, we've got uh NASCAR is a couple of races in form and the ones getting ready to, 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 gear up and start IndyCar is getting ready to gear up and start. And um, so NASCAR, we were at Phoenix this past weekend. And, and once again, Louise, the Penske
1: cars were in the mix all day up front, but couldn't seal the deal. Yeah, they've mastered the pit stops. Joey Logano could be like fourth or fifth after a long green run. And then boom, he's out of like top two because they were just delivering boss pit stops. But nah, but they just couldn't get it done because Truex just had a better car, a better restart for that matter. He just got it. He was right up there with Logano and just the the what would be considered the ideal lane and that scenario where he was, and Truex ended up winning the race for the first time, and I mentioned this multiple times. Like It's been a long time. It's been that weeknight race, race in Martinsville, and we don't have to talk about that anymore because Truex won the, won the Darcy. but Penske's yet again bridesmaids. They've had quite arguably the strongest cars all season. They just cannot win when it matters. When it's clutch, they've been the opposite, whether they've been wrecked out or they've just been outperformed. Yeah, all, then, all all three cars. All, all
2: three cars have been spot on at times, but but not you know, on the I last don't, I don't know about Blaney lap.
1: though. Yeah. I don't know no, about I, I, Blaney. no,
2: Blaney's been pretty good. I mean he's he's okay, he's not been as spot on as say Brad he, and Joey. Compared
1: to Brad and Joey, they've been right there. Blaney has had other stuff that kept them out on this area. Except for Vegas, he was there too. But the other ones, he was just almost essentially Miami am book, but they kind of like eventually they gotta get it done. I think Atlanta. And I don't have a clear favorite for Atlanta, honestly, if you were to tell me, because I think five or six cars could probably be contenders of that one. Depends how Hendrick will do, which they've been on it. If it's like if you want to talk about another team that has been rivaling with Penske, Miss Hendrick. The problem is when you have three cars to start at the rear of the field for failing three races, the other one got wrecked out over an accordion effect, Alex Bowman, and those pit penalties from Larson and Elliott, that will keep you out of the contention and that definitely hurt those guys from being there with Logano, Hamlin, and Truex. But this was a definite Joe Gibbs kind of day until Kyle Busch had that uncontrolled tire where he almost could have been, un- no longer- could have been running but not scored. And then from that point, just his day went downhill horrifically, whereas Hamlin and Truex were battling for the leader being right up front.
2: Yeah, so we have, again, we've got a different winner in every race so far this year. And given, yep. given the guys that have not won this year, we're really on pace to have a, another, you know, um, unique winner uh, in 2021 coming up in Atlanta. Cause you figure, you know, Harvick's Harvick's not won yet. The Penske's haven't won yet. Um, Hamlin, Denny Hamlin hasn't won one yet. Kyle Busch hasn't won one yet. So uh, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a very interesting season. I, I could really see us getting to where we have more than 16 winners in the season, just at, at the pace we're going.
1: Yeah, the pace we're going, probably. I'm still not getting my hopes up that we'll have more than 16, but we'll see about that come in the summer. But compared to the other four races, this one is where you can consider the usuals, like a Truex and Harvick and Keselowski-Logano, the usual guys that fight for the wins. This was the first one from that core of the group. Because Larson is the first year at Hendrick. He he went through that suspension phase. But he was never you when he was working at, he was never that guy with the Penske's and the Gibbs and so on. And then you have the other winners that, yeah, we expect them to win because they've been good in the past, but not at the circumstances or be that dominant. This time around, Phoenix, we saw the core guys be up battling for the lead and win.
2: Yep, it was all the usual suspects at the front. So now, Richard, uh, what were your thoughts on, on Phoenix and this particular package? I, I thought that it's uh. Once again, made for a made for a pretty entertaining
3: race. Yeah, it's it's a it's it's a good little track, isn't it? It's a little bit unusual. You saw Brad Kozlowski, I think it was at the start of the race, take the lowest line through that dogleg kink. I think I've ever seen. He almost hit the pit exit there, didn't he? But uh, it, it's a, it's a good track, and there was some reasonably good racing there again. Um, you know, as we mentioned, Trucks is probably the first winner in twenty twenty one that you look at the end of the season and say, yeah, he could be there. Uh, the other guys, maybe Larson could be there or thereabouts. Depends how he, he goes through the rest of the season with a decent machinery. Um, you know, again, Penske, as we mentioned, Penske were good all day during the race, but it's just it's just that last stage really. And it's it's how flexible your car is, you know. Do you build the cars good for a long run or good for a short run or vice versa? And we remember back to when Logano won the championship a couple of years ago at Homestead, you know, he, his car was set up perfectly for like a 20 lap run. And there was a caution with like 10, 15 laps to go. And he, he, he moved to the front. Whereas, you know, maybe this last weekend, it was slightly different and actually Truex said his car wasn't good on a short run and the Mason changes on the last stop there and, uh, you know, got, to, got, got the job done. And uh, credit must go to his crew chief there, James Smalls, who's uh, somebody I've worked with in the past and great, Great guy, great crew chief, and uh, managed to pull out the pull out the win there at the end. But uh, I think it was good racing, good package, great little circuit. You know, good fun. Uh, a little bit different from from everything else we see there. You know, the or the the, oh, the, the U shaped pit road always makes things a little bit interesting. And, yeah, I, um, I, I like where they've moved the
2: uh, start finish to. It's just, it's, it's really yeah. interesting because it's, you know, it's non-traditional compared to where it is at most tracks when they did the uh, the remodel there, they moved that start finish line. So it's, it's, it's really in an interesting place that, uh, you know, that is pretty unique to the, um, you know,
3: to the rest of the NASCAR tracks. Yeah. And, and to people, you know, I've been there a couple of times when we've been testing and racing out there and it, to my mind, it, the setting there is one of the most picturesque, settings for a racetrack that i've been to anywhere in the world it, it you know it's in the south, south southwest of phoenix there and you know it's in the mountains or in, in the, at the base of the mountains and the hills it's, it's almost a natural amphitheater you see a lot of people camping on the hills around the track and uh yeah i've got some great photos from there just of the scenery more than anything it's, it's a beautiful beautiful racetrack to go to so if anybody's out oh, yeah you, you've got the giant to go to giant
2: race, cactuses around there yeah, that are just kind of neat to see know. You know, if you don't, trust if, me, from a, yeah. From I mean, a guy, yeah. yeah. If you're a city guy, seeing
3: that is just kind of neat.
1: Hmm. And I totally vouch for Richard well, Insane yeah. as well.
3: Yeah, trust me. Growing up on uh, a, a wet, cold, windy Silverstone, Phoenix is a million miles away from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so no, um, if, if anybody wants to get to a race on the west coast, and you know, wants to go to a pretty cool city as well, I like Phoenix as a city. Uh It's, it's a great. Great place to go to. And, you know, it's small. You can see everything. Uh, compact, you know, really good facilities. It Highly recommended that trip. What do you mean trip. Phoenix is a cool city? It's in the middle of a desert. It's a hot <laughs> city then.
2: Well, so was Las Vegas, but people seem to enjoy that.
1: Ve- Vegas for me, I have to see it for believe it, but, but that's a long story with, with, with Vegas, considering it's just... I remember back in the day... Back in the day, like what was it? I think it was Robbie Gordon in NASCAR Driver 360 episode where if you go a certain tr- shortcut, you'll cut the traffic in a lot of time because it is pretty hellacious with traffic, I'd imagine. I don't know about so, now, but the only thing that would rival Phoenix as far as the picture-ass point of view that I've been to so far is probably Laguna Seca because you have yeah. your it, – it it's a sight in my book as well, for sure. Well, have, yeah. you, been,
2: have you been in Road America?
1: I have never been to the Midwest until probably yeah. early May.
2: I was going to say, yeah, Road America is absolutely beautiful. And to your point, Laguna Seca is very nice at the at the right time of the year. You know what I mean? It, it suffers the same fate as um, Sonoma, where, where it looks pretty half the year, but uh, it looks pretty dry and dead in other parts of the year. So, but uh, yeah, there there are a lot That's of b- beautiful race tracks in the in the United States. So uh, we're off to Atlanta. Uh speaking of beautiful racetracks, Atlanta's one that could use
1: some help. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they have so, two races, they'll they'll well, hopefully they'll do well enough. Problem is the second one is probably at the worst time of the year to have it based on the temperatures. A couple of people were telling me, like, why would you put it at that time of the year? I think it's like what July or what it might have been. It might be. It's just like that's like the hottest point of the year. Have fun getting people because they're trying to do this renovation project to make it more
3: no purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: They could get crowds because Atlanta has went through a lot of changes since that tornado a decade and a half ago to where it's just the front stretch. That's all they have in grants As it got rid of the Elliott stands in turn three. That used to be old turn one. Oh, they could use a lot of help in that department.
3: Have they resurfaced Atlanta yet? I don't think they have. have no, they. no, no, they, they haven't. They've owned
1: haven't. it in the past several years because they just love yeah. the surface. But some people say, yeah, it's old surface, but the racing isn't all that good. That goes back to the pack.
3: I mean, the the only people it's not good for are the tire technicians who have got to keep learning up sets of tires every time there's a bit stuff because, you know, you, nobody stays out there. Um,
2: well, I mean, anybody, anybody that complains about the service at Atlanta, they should just take him out to Sebring for a day, and, and then they'll they'll wish they were back oh, in
1: Atlanta. Oh, that ar- <laughs> <That's> erroneous.
4: <laughs> a that, article about it.
1: Yeah, that erroneous Yeah, I know. Article. I saw that. I looked at the titles, like, let me see who wrote it. It's like, oh, it's the same guy that wrote about that thing about Indianapolis. It's like, yep. Yeah, yeah. Oh,
3: you go to, um, uh, where is it? Montreal, when the track started to crack at Montreal about 10 years ago during the F1 race, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, I think one of the worst, I don't know if uh, you guys are probably too young to remember, the uh, 1984 uh, Formula One race in Dallas was was, oh, I've heard was, about a, it, yeah. was. a nightmare. I mean, that that's the one, uh, yeah, it was, they said, hey, you know, Fourth of July weekend would be a great place to have a race in Dallas when the ambient temperature is 115 degrees. <laughs> and, and, and the surface started breaking up on the first practice. And every night they're yeah. out there patching it with concrete. And it was just a mess. Uh, well, it was one. And this is the same race where Nigel Mansell thought it was a good idea to hop out no of his push. car yeah. in 115 degree heat, wearing a black driver's suit and try to push it across the line until he just, uh, he you know, uh, overcome with heat exhaustion, collapsed on the track there, uh, making for, you know. Uh, Nigel's always been a, a, a bit of a fine actor when it comes to, uh, uh, you know, creating drama, but I don't
3: think he was acting there. Lionel, well, remember? Yes, Tifosi the, uh, yeah. there was talking about, talking about tracks breaking up. Now this is going back. I can't remember the exact circumstances, but it may have been a British Grand Prix or another British like touring car race or something like that. And they got uh, one of these Harrier planes, you know, these vertical takeoff and vertical landing planes, to to come in and do a demonstration. And it actually landed on the circuit and took off, you know, horizontally off the circuit like a helicopter almost but of course it uses a jet engine to generate lift and it, it blew the track surface apart and melted it. I don't oh know, no. It? I I don't remember
1: something like that. happening. Yeah.
3: And I think that, I think it was on like part of the track where thankfully they could put like a, you know, a separate, you know, they could shortcut the corner or something like that. I'd have to, I'll uh, while while you guys are talking about something else I'll have a look, see if can find it, I looked everything fine cuz I thought you were going to
1: bring up now. Martinsville 2004 then you brought up Bridge touring cars I'm like oh okay okay. Oh, yeah. I was
2: at I was at that race in Martinsville 2004 uh, as, as a fan as a spectator. Uh, I was sitting up there and I I usually prepare well for a race, you know, when it when it comes to uh you know having a couple coolers full of beverages. Um but other people around me didn't and uh that uh that an oh, hour and a half delay caused some folks to run out of beverages, but uh, it was a nice little side business for me because people say, man, I'll give you, I'll give you 10 bucks for a can of beer. I'm like, okay. <laughs> there you go. You made, yep, yep. Made, made me enough money to buy a nice t-shirt on the way out. So, <laughs> but um, anyway, I digress. We should um, go ahead and make our picks for Atlanta because I want to talk about uh, IndyCar testing and formula one testing as those seasons are um, beginning to wrap up. So Christopher, I'll start with you. Since you're our resident non NASCAR guy, and and see who you uh, who you feel might uh, win this uh, Cup race coming up in Atlanta,
4: Land chase from the same damn place. Okay, Chase Elliott,
1: Louise, what do you think, buddy? I think I'm going to go with Harvick repeating Atlanta again. I think, like I said, it's going to be very very tight, but I feel like this might be
3: Harvick's race to lose, but not by much though. But not by much, okay. Um, and uh, Richard? Yeah, I was going to go for the bottom feeder of Harvick. I remember, you know, he just has a line that pretty much nobody else can drive around there. Uh, I remember, you know, listening to people, you know, other drivers following him in the race, trying to copy his line, and they just they just can't do it. But, you know, he gets a setup on the car, and he gets a line, and nobody else can, can beat him around there. Um, outside of that, you know, I fancy Carl Larson again. And I think the Hendry I, I, I was
2: thinking that too. You know, he, that's Jimmy Johnson's old crew, and they, Johnson's always performed well at, at Atlanta. Yeah,
3: they're not going to. I don't think uh, Larson be a million miles away. And no. you know, I, I personally, I'd say he's he's a early dark horse in the championship. Is is Larson? I really do. I think he's, you know, we've spoken about this on the on the show before. You know, what he went through last year probably, in a, in a way, he could actually turn out to be a good thing for his career in the long term.
1: I'm gonna say nothing because that's one of my bold predictions to where I don't actually have Larson in making it half past the round of sixteen. But if I'm wrong, then I'll be okay with that one.
2: Yeah. All right. And that leaves me so to pick. <laughs> well, that leaves me to pick, and I, I really gotta believe that these Penske guys are gonna get one in sooner than later. And uh, you know, Brad's won at Atlanta, I think, twice over the last uh, five or six years. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Keselowski says Penske finally gets that win in when their cars have been pretty darn good uh, week in and week out on, on nearly every track. So uh, that being said, uh, Christopher, um, IndyCar testing in full swing. Um, we're starting to see some of the liveries uh, you know, some of the uh, uh, drivers with their new teams. Um, you know, one of the weird things about this year we'll be seeing Elio Castro Nevis driving a car. That's not a Penske car. Which we haven't seen since nineteen ninety nine, which is which is a lifetime ago. So, uh, uh, who who do you like, uh, IndyCar wise? Um, You're you're just early, early. I'm kind of confused
4: because didn't Leo drive last year for uh, Aaron McLaren SP in the uh, Harvest Grand Prix? Yes, he did. Yes,
2: yes, he did. Yeah, he uh, he filled in for um, Askew at the end of the year. Yeah, you're right but like he's referring full time of course yeah, like, yeah yeah i know, I know. well you 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 chris is only going so it's
4: giving grief all right
2: yes yes this is true so why don't you uh tell us who who you like this year and who you like to give grief to
4: <sighs> well other than me <laughs> um honestly i really am looking forward to seeing what there's there's three drivers in particular i'm looking forward to watching actually four i'll take that like four Scott McLaughlin, because he's the Scott learns America. He's fully embraced everything. Um, two, I really am looking forward to seeing what Colton Hurdle will do with his dad on the uh, timing stand. Um, and I know this is going to be very injury auto centric, but I don't care. Three is Alexander Rossi, seeing him try and bounce back from uh, the year that he had. Um, you know, I a couple years ago I predicted him to win the championship. And, you know, unfortunately, it didn't happen. And the fourth is uh, Jack Harvey, because I think that that team will be even stronger with the second car and having Elio's leadership will really help. However, I have to say they're all going to be fighting for second place because Scott Dixon is going to win another championship because at this point, he's almost the GOAT.
2: Oh, he is the goat. Yeah. But also other guys that that I'd like to keep an eye on for sure are, um, the McLaren guys, both Felix and Pato. Uh, I think these guys uh, have, have an excellent chance to, uh, uh, enter victory circle this year. You know, Felix did win a race last year. Uh, Pato had several podiums last year. Pato will be
4: the next first time winner.
2: I'm sorry. Pato will be the next first time winner. Correct. I will not disagree with you on that. I think you're spot on. Absolutely correct. i seconding and the, on Pato as well. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But 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 again, to your point, Jack Harvey, I uh, I really like Jack Harvey quite a bit. He's uh he's done a lot of really neat stuff to um endear himself to the fans. Uh, you know, uh, especially during you know the pandemic shutdowns, he had all his little videos called "You Don't Know Jack," um and, and I think he's just uh he's got a wonderful personality. I think he's a fine driver. And this whole, you know, odyssey with, with Shank slowly expanding, you know, a few more races each year to where he's going to, you know, have a, a nice full season this year with a, with a teammate with a lot of experience. Uh, I think Jack Harvey's going to be one to watch. But, but again, you can't take your eyes off the Penske guys. I, I think that willpower is more motivated than ever, just, you know, based on some of the things that, uh, uh, that I've seen him say and, and, and seen him do. And, of course, Newgarden is, uh, you know, he's, he's in his prime. He's, uh, he's priming himself to be that next GOAT. And uh, and, and Paginot is just always there. He, you know, he'll uh, he's always been kind of up and down, but when, when he gets hot, he's hot.
4: I've always, one thing I've always, you know, I've been thinking about the last couple of years is when you have Rossi, you know, coming onto the scene in 2016 the way he did, and Newgarden was starting his ascension at the same time. In my opinion, that's the next big American rivalry. You know, it used to be Andretti and Foyt. then it was Andretti and Unser. The next big American rivalry is Rossi and Newgarden, and of course, they may like each other, be friends, or or whatever. But this is this is probably the next big thing because you've got a lot of people, you know, pitch you know fits about you know American drivers this and that. These are two guys that wave the American flag right by their name, and this is what should be promoted like crazy. Um, and,
2: and throw Colton hurt into the mix there, too.
4: Colton's, Colton's still a kid. Yeah, but, I'm but, sorry. He's, a, he's, but a kid.
2: he's a rising star,
4: though. He, he, he is a rising star, but mm. Newgarden and Rossi have a lot more experience. Colton's a kid.
3: All right, Richard, your thoughts here. I there's something about Colin Herder, which you know it's what two years out since he won his first race, and he's won I think he's won two or three races now, hasn't he? Um, I
1: I don't know. There's something that just on that one, I think. Sorry, you're right on that one. I think Coda Maduna, and
3: one of the Mid Ohio racists.
2: Yeah, he's got three race wins.
3: Yeah, and not, not nothing against the guy. I don't have anything against. I just something just doesn't sit right. I, I don't know what it is and I, I, I genuinely hope I'm proven wrong here, but something's just, I, I don't know, you know, you're looking how guys like Joseph Newgarden came up and, you know, some of these other guys that have, have, have come up through the ranks, something just doesn't click with me. Um, as I say, I hope I'm wrong and I hope he does go on and have a very successful career and wins multiple races and, and championships and, and the like. But, um, it's going to be an interesting season. Of course, you know, rookie, you know, rookie 45-year-old rookie and Jimmy Johnson out there seeing what he can do. Um, and, you know, the usual crowd, isn't it, at the front there. And you imagine you're going to see progression from um, as the McLaren team. You know, that they're, they're going to do things right and they're going to do things methodically. And uh, I think they're going to be in a strong position. But I think it's going to be a fascinating season with uh, some... You know that that rivalry, as you say there, the Joseph and Rossi rivalry there, really started to build. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll see how it uh, see how it all pans out throughout the year. Um, you know, be interesting to see how Will Power does because he had a bit of a off season last year. But I think he, I think remember set said right, he had a pretty strong end to the season, didn't they? Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back because you know Will's what in his early forties now and. He hasn't, he isn't having, I think, I, think great... he just,
2: I think he just turned 40 this year.
3: Okay. So he's, yeah, he's 40. So, you know, he, he isn't having this sort of like stellar twilight of his career, like uh, Scott Dixon's having, you know, he will. The only reason that will seems to be off the pace is because of the outstanding standards that he set himself, you know, in the last 10 years, you know? So even if you have a small dip from those, those levels, you know, it's noticeable, um, so it'd be interesting to see how he comes up because, you know, everybody knows that there's a... Uh, Roger Penske's not afraid. You know, he's he wants the best drivers out there available to him. And he's not... You know, obviously, New Garden's probably got his seat in that team tied up for the next uh, 10 years or so, probably if he wants it. Uh, so those, you know, you only have a n- limited number of seats. So if, if some other young young drivers are coming available, then it's certainly going to put pressure on guys like Will and uh, Sam Paj
2: Yeah, for sure. Now, Penske expanding to four cars. uh, Once again, they've they've gone to four cars before and they've, you know, with varying success, uh, you know, Ganassi is expanding out to four cars. Uh, They again, they, they have expanded to four cars in the past with that success only extending to two cars or two and a half cars sometimes, or to to one car at, at other times. But at the same time, Andretti, who's always, run a larger team is actually paring down from five cars to four. Uh, and they're adding James Hinchcliffe into the mix there. Now uh, Hinchcliffe, you know, he's always been on the fringe of, of, uh, of greatness, uh, and, but also on, on the fringe of also ran. So now Christopher, what, what are your thoughts on Hinchcliffe? This is probably his uh, best chance to win races since he first joined Andretti Autosports back in thirteen.
4: The thing with um, the thing with Hinchcliffe this year is that he doesn't have to deal with the politics of it. Like, he, okay, so the last the last couple of years he's had to deal with, oh, is he gonna? I'm trying, oh God, what was what was what was the? Um, I just lost my train of thought completely. Um, well, when oh,
2: they, the, the they Honda sort of, thing, yeah, it's a Honda what, thing, yeah.
4: So, so no, I, got, I got my train of thought back. I'm so, so sorry. Just a lot of things are uh, just going on right now. Um, they don't have to worry about the whole Honda Chevy, this, that it's just, it's, it's, it's all good now. And he's used to dealing with these people.
2: Yeah. All, all he's got to do right now is go to work and drive. Exactly, you know, he's got he's, all the, he sp- to, the sponsorship is lined up, he's ready to go. He's got a seat for the full season.
4: And um, let's face it, he lost his ride with the, a mess up circumstance in the first place. It wasn't at, at the last minute, too.
2: Yes, they, they, they left him kind of you know out left out in the cold for last year.
4: And considering who you know the fact that his team owner had um. What's what's the what's the way it, you know helped him out when he was you know on the mend? It's it's just it's it just was not good how that whole relationship ended. But you know now he's working for someone who believed in him. You know after Dan Walden has accident, he was gonna be with Dan, and you know Dan passed away, and Hinch was brought in. So Michael Andretti had faith in him back then, and he has faith in him now to continue this. So.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think uh, Hinchcliffe still has some good years left in him. I mean, there are folks that would, you know, would, you know, would care to write him off, but uh, I disagree. I, I I've always liked Hinch as a personality. And, and again, he's had a, he's had a lot of flashes of brilliance behind the, behind the wheel. I mean, he had a great win at long beach a couple of years ago. Um, I remember his first win at St. Pete um, was fan. was a fantastic win. So uh, yeah, you know, best of luck to Hinchcliffe for this year um now beyond that let's let's talk about the ray he doesn't team. get it done now
4: though it's
2: yeah it's it's realistically over, his, his, pretty much yeah yeah well let's let's talk about the ray hall team a little bit we're uh, returning with uh, graham and takuma takuma's coming off a season where he won the indy 500 yet again um you know i i want to say right now um takuma who's um over forty, um, but he uh, seems to get though, isn't it? forty-three. Yeah, it gets better with age. But uh, I want to say he's got a he's got a better shot at being the next four-time Indy winner than Elio does at this point. I, I'm just I'm just throwing that out there with how good he is at that particular track and how no
4: driver has won the Indy five hundred after winning it for Roger Penske. So think about that, huh? <laughs> No, dri- just to repeat, no driver has ever won the Indy 500. Oh, okay. All right. After yes. they won it for Roger Penske. Okay. You're
2: talking about Elio. I was, yeah. I was trying about, yeah. I was, talking, nah, about, mean, I was, I was talking about Takuma, and you just, <laughs> well, you, you said just, he has a
4: better chance of winning four times than Elio does. And I feel right. You so well.
2: you're saying the Elio chances are now over that he's left Penske. Yeah. So,
4: <laughs> yeah, but they said no that driver, is a good
2: point, though. oh, yeah, but, uh, you know, they said no, no driver has ever won the Indy 500. After after leaving Team Pensky, except for Tom Sneva, he didn't
4: win the 500 for uh, Team Pensky. He never won, he, exactly,
2: did. but he but he won first. he won the 500 after after leaving Team pansky but he didn't that's win true. win a 500 with Pensky. Yeah, there's so oh, I'm just saying there's loopholes to every rule.
1: But yeah, he won the championship without winning a race for Pensky. That's one thing. That's what yeah. got him fired. Exactly. Yeah, I know. Yeah, right? you won the championship. You're fired. So. <laughs>
2: anyway so let's uh indycar season takes off in april we're going to start the season at barber which is a beautiful race course um because we were speaking about beautiful race courses earlier barber is right up there but uh, we've got some time left to talk about formula one richard the formula one guys are all all testing out there in the desert bahrain yep Bahrain. Uh, yeah yep so let's talk about um you know some of the early test numbers from formula one it looks like Mercedes struggled a tiny bit here and there.
3: A little bit, yeah. Had, had a little bit of an
2: off-course excursion. So I'll let
3: you fill yeah. us in. Um, so going into 2021 was meant to be the new era regulations, uh, big upgrades, new car and the like. Uh, and with everything that happened last year, the decision was made to push that back through to um, 2022. So we've got another year of the current generation of car and current rules package on the aero side. And, and what the FIA did was to allow teams to make some changes. They introduced this token system. And each team was allowed to use two tokens to work on structural aspects of the car. Now, bodywork can change. So you can make adjustments to the front wing, to the rear wing, you know, all these sort of things. But the, the, if you want to change like a crash crash. I'll say that again, crash structure, like a nose cone or a gearbox mount or a side pod, then that would be a token allocation. Uh, Engine development was carried on as normal because engines were going to be used under the new rules anyway, the same engine rule. So uh, different teams had different uh, ways of spending these tokens. McLaren used them on on their engine integration with them moving over to Mercedes. And, and some teams tried to pick out areas where they were weak in 2020 and and, and sort of try and rectify those weaknesses. Um, and and you've you basically got a standard package for this year. You're not going to see teams throwing a lot of resources at the 2021 car. Uh, so the pecking order is not going to change massively. Um, McLaren's certainly impressed with the new Mercedes engine uh, after their sort of realization that you know, Honda and red Renault aren't as good as Mercedes. They've gone back to their, going <laughs> back to an ex-girlfriend, isn't that, uh, you know, after having their sort of split for a few years, they've got back together and they started off exactly where they left off. Um, you know, being very, very, very impressive performance there. And, you know, the with the two drivers they've got Lando Norris and, and Daniel Ricciardo. They're certainly, those two guys are certainly on the higher end of the, the driver rankings. I think you'd, you'd, you'd probably say, Um. Mercedes seem to be struggling with a unpredictable rear end, as it were. I could make a comment about me eating a curry and an unpredictable rear end, but we won't go there. And um, so we—that's—that's you know, that's we, horrible. You know, you're welcome. Uh, so yeah, it—you it, um, know—they struggled a little bit. Red Bull seem to have got everything together. They've had a really good test session. Uh, I don't think they had any real mechanical issues. Um, and they've, they've just gone out there and almost done a Mercedes. You know, they've put the lap times in, they've checked up all the testing boxes, and they've just been, you know, really, really solid. So, you know, credit to Red Bull. Red Bull, if you like, won pre-season testing, for what it's worth. Um, Ferrari seem to have stepped up a little bit, maybe regained some of the performance that they'd lost uh, with the engine last year. They seem to have found that back. Um so McLaren looked good with the new engine. They've got a, a relatively trick diffuser there. Some of the changes that have come in for 2021 is the aim of reducing downforce by about 10%. Well, yeah, they they do reduce the downforce in one area and the teams, because they're pretty smart people, found it back. Uh, McLaren seemed to have introduced a bit of a trick diffuser there. So, uh, you know, good luck to them on that. They seem to have found a bit of a loophole there. It's not like the double diffuser that Braun had back in 2009. You know, it's not going to certainly make them world beaters, but it's certainly an advantage to them. Um, Outside of that, the new Aston Martin team made their track debut in in the green with Lance Stroll and uh, Sebastian Battelle there. They struggled. They had technical issues and they didn't get as much track time, I think, as they'd like. Uh, So there's certainly work to be done there within that organisation. Alpha Tauri set some headlines and very, very fast laps, but they were uh, enabling their DRS really early in the lap. Um, Coming off the final turn, they were probably... Enabling that DRS slot, 150 meters before the actual DRS line, which you can do during testing. You can do whatever you like. It's not regulated or restricted as it would be during qualifying or the race. So, don't read everything you see in those lap times. But the Alpha Tari is a quick car, and Sonoda's a reasonably quick driver. There, there's, you know, a lot of people question him because he never had a stellar, um, you know, stellar career in some of the junior form has never, never won any of the championships, but uh, you know, he's, he seems pretty quick. Um, Williams have a car that they say is faster in certain conditions, but also unpredictable. So you may see Williams have some strong weekends you, and then flip around and have a week, weaker weekend. So hopefully they'll start to score points. You know, Alfa Romeo looked pretty solid. Alpine had a, a, a really weird engine cover. They've got this huge bulbous engine cover, which, um, they say actually improves their aerodynamic performance because it, uh, they sacrifice a bit of centre of gravity and a bit of, uh, uh, you know, weight high up in the car there, but it allows them to slim out the side pods, which they say get they get more, um, uh, you know, performance from that uh, sculpted side pod area than they do a higher engine cover. So that's a you know, slightly unusual looking uh, solution. Uh, and has I probably think Haas are going to be the uh, team that will struggle um you know they've openly admitted they're going to go zero development on the 2021 car they're going to focus solely on 2022 or that means they've got no money one of the two um focusing on the oh, following years they, they've, year they've
2: all, got all that russian money don't they well do they really uh i don't know it's, it's like like did, did, they, did they really have the uh Rich energy money. So. Exactly. <laughs> oh, <geez>. Their car <laughs> is
3: their, their their car is basically a two hundred mile an hour Russian flag.
2: Yes, it is. Um, yes, it is. We discussed that is, last week.
3: Yeah, and it's quite ironic. You know, Mazepin released his helmet design today and it's bright orange. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, yeah, that's yeah, that's cause, interesting. Cause, that he hasn't got. Any of the Russian flag on his helmet, but well, he's got to, pretend
2: he's, got to pretend he's from New Zealand or something. So exactly, so, yeah, he's, a, mean, he's a Russian.
3: Yeah. He's an athlete of Russian descent or something, is the yeah, term that's going to yeah. be used. But I think I, I don't think you've heard the last of that story. But it looks no, like it's going to be relatively similar to what it was last year. You're not going to have somebody jumping up, you know, three or four spots in the constructors' championship. I think come the end of 2021, I don't think any team will move more than one position up or down. Right, um, and, you and, may and, get and... a team
2: and Lewis is primed to break that record for
3: championships. You would imagine, unless this rear end instability is, um, you know, as big as they make it out. Mercedes have this horrible habit, and it annoys me so much of going, oh, you know, we're nowhere, our car's terrible, oh my goodness me, it's awful, you know, it's undrivable, and then they win every, the first five races, you know. Uh, And and that annoys me a little bit. (laughs) It smacks a little bit of arrogance there. You know, it's like, okay, just say it how it don't, don't, you know, people aren't stupid. Don't, don't do that to us. Um, Especially after last year. Like Exactly, exactly. You know, but saying that, you know, this year you have three days of testing and it was pretty clear looking at it. Anyway, taking lap times out of the equation, if you watched any of the video, that red bull is planted like a slot car you know, it was phenomenal and the Mercedes just wasn't quite as good, not saying it was bad, but it just wasn't as good. Um, which is, you know, that's a shame. So it'd be interesting to see what happens come, uh, you know, the start of the new season there, but in two weeks, so we're back in Bahrain in two weeks, oh, well, week and a half now. So, right. um,
2: week and a half and we are, we are right at the end of our hour. So, uh, it's time to say goodnight. night. Um, one more Formula One related note: um, that if we could just talk about it real quick, um, they they um, released the uh, track design for Saudi Arabia, which is mm. going to be a twenty seven turn twenty seven turn circuit. Um, do you get a chance to look at that, Richard?
3: Yeah, I've seen the online videos of it, and it, it looks quite interesting. But it looks like a procession, you know. There is no runoff areas, there is no curbing. You know, it's just wall track wall um which i you know it, it you know at least bahrain and Monaco and places like that you've got nice things to look at you know i don't think you've got you know you got the nice scenery and, and the setting's impressive i don't know what it's going to be like uh, for, for saudi like arabia a, but
1: looks like a track that lacks overtaking it's like it seems like yeah, a one group track which is this as much You're as i'm right going to say about that ordeal yeah
3: and, and one very quick i know we're running out against time but one very quick thing I do want to uh, mention as well, and and probably not quite so uh, apparent to, to to a lot of the the listeners from the US, but certainly people in Europe and Australia, the, the passing over the weekend of Murray Walker, who was the oh, lead yes, commentator yes. for the for the BBC on Formula One since since the nineteen seventies when he took over permanently when uh, Formula One was broadcast on a regular basis in the UK. Um, for me growing up in the, in the sort of nineties, early nineties, starting to watch Formula One, he was, and this phrase is used often, isn't it? The voice of a, of a particular sport. He was the voice of Formula One. He had a, an unimaginable enthusiasm and passion for what he was doing. And it was addictive and, it, you know, it, it, it drew you in. It, you know, it, it was, it was addictive. It really was. It was fascinating to listen to. And, um, You know, I don't think I've ever seen so much outpouring from Formula One teams and fans for a a neutral person, if you like. He had so much respect within the garage. You know, he would any you know if he wanted to, he could you know he he had carte blanche of the the Formula One paddock, and there's very very few people that had that. He could walk into any garage, talk to any mechanic, any engineer, any driver, any anybody in the sport he could talk to, and you know, and just walk around and be completely open with everybody and it was fantastic and it, it is a real loss it really is and you know he had a good goodness me he was 97 so you, you know he, he, you can't feel you know like we've lost somebody you know younger there but he, he did a fantastic job and he certainly grew the sport and his influence and impact on the sport is is second to none really and uh, certainly I know a lot of my interest in the sport came from his passion and enthusiasm.
2: Yeah, I do believe there's a whole book of uh, his phrases that are called Murrayisms. Yes,
3: um, yep, I'm gonna. So, what uh, was, there's gonna. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Stop my start watch was one of them. Um, you know that car's perfectly okay apart from it's on fire. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that car's unique apart from the one behind, which is identical. You know? <laughs> but it was that in you know he didn't care. You know he just said what he said and nobody cared because they knew it came from a, a sense of passion and enthusiasm and excitement. And, you know, he had that, everything was at hundred miles an hour. Everything was, you know, the, the pants on fire sort of thing. And if anybody, you know, a lot of the older, you know, pre 2000 archive footages has Murray Walker commentating and it was oh fantastic. And, you know, as I say, for somebody to to be honored in the way that he has been, who wasn't necessarily a driver um, is is phenomenal and he deserves all the credit again. And hopefully, you know, maybe, you know, you could name a corner after him at Silverstone, the impact he's had.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. He will be sorely missed in the sport. So, but with that, we are at a time. So I want to thank you, Richard. I want to thank you, Louise, Christopher. I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network. I want to thank iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Google Podcasts, and YouTube, who all carry us. And I want to thank you folks that uh, tune in and listen to us week after week. But until next week, good night.
1: Hoobazoo
0: Radio.